Welcome. Welcome to another edition of Life Hurts, God Heals. I am one of two of your co-hosts for this extraordinary event that you have either intentionally or accidentally tripped and found yourself in. Uh, uh, we are glad to have you with us. Don't wipe us off if you've tripped and fallen into this. We want you to hang and uh, we have a great show tonight with my other co-host, Chris Wolwind, who will uh, be joining us momentarily. And, uh, and we also have a producer, Annie Keith. Annie, you can say hi. Can I? Are you sure I can say hi? I hope oh. so. Hello, everybody. I'm Annie. Hello. And, so, and there's Chris. Our co-host extraordinaire. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. I was just uh, doing some dishes, actually. <laughs> very professional. That's a very professional admission right there. Right do you think there. you should come and do mine next? Uh, I could, but that's a long drive. That is well, true. We, we're we're uh, we're going to be talking tonight about a, a topic that may sound kind of uh, maybe the word I don't want to say generic uh, I want to say maybe insubstantial or broad maybe is a better word it's out there intangible I'm I'm just grasping for words right now uh, I, apparently I have to do crossword puzzles more often or play Scrabble or what a number of things. So tonight's topic is guy stuff. And that's a broad thing, but I think we're going to get into this topic. Go. You're going to see why this is so important. Um, especially in the world we live in today with, uh, with men and what's happening in our culture. And it's just very confusing. What is it? Really, the question that we want to tackle tonight when it comes to guy stuff, what does it mean to be a man? Then ever I think we need those answers. I was asked this just, um, yeah, just Saturday. A guy I know who's in his 20s asked me, Kurt, what, is it, what does it mean to be a man? And so it was fascinating that we had this topic picked. It is. And and, when, and in uh, fact, I, my my trivia that I have for us right. actually has to do with a record that was set in the Philippines for 252 fire trucks showing up in the same place <laughs> in order to set a record. And the previous record, I think, was 212 fire trucks. Um but I thought, boy, that's concerning because I'm wondering what happens uh, on the other side of the country when those fire trucks aren't there. <laughs> we have all these 252, which is a lot of fire trucks <laughs> showing up on one side of the country. So anyway, that happened last week. They attempted to set a record, but uh, they were waiting for Dennis to confirm it or approve it or something like that. So there you go. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. I don't have 
anything? Well, actually, I do have one that's um, related to to man. It's not related to farming. Uh, yeah. It's related to... And there are fire women. And there are fire women. Fire there people. Are fire women. Yeah, fire, <laughs> fire fighters. Fire yeah. fighters. What's the, what's the PC way to say that today? Do fire you say fire persons? Firefighters? There you go. Firefighters. Good. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so here, here's a trivia that has to do a little bit, at least that references man. Uh, Neil Armstrong, who is famous for going to the moon and stepping out and walking on the moon, and who uh, is famous also for the the term uh, the the phrase that he said. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that phrase is, Chris? Um, one small step for. <laughs> and for mankind. <laughs> well, you know the the quote. What he's quoted as saying is, "That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind." Hey, I was However, close. You I was were. Close. You were. Okay. However, Neil Armstrong insists that that's not what he said. What did he? He, ins- he insists that he said, "That's one small step for a man." Aha. One giant leap for mankind. Um, and he says otherwise, the way that statement actually makes any sense. Right. So, so I am kind of correct, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, the, uh, the term Houston, we have a problem is not spoken except for in the movie Apollo 13 by Tom Hanks. That is actually not a historical quote. Ah, okay. <clears throat> I had a, had a little bit of man stuff right there, I guess. I thought that so, was a line from Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, here here's another here's another piece of trivia then. What was the other meteor movie that came out the same year? Hollywood tends to do this, right? They they put out similar similar movies at the same time. One year, um, there was Tombstone, right, with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer, and that same year, also about the OK Corral. That in the same year that had Kevin Costner in the the role that that Kurt Russell played. So, uh, so what was the other movie that was about a to destroy Earth the same year that Armageddon came out? Anyone know the name of that movie? No, because I only mm-hmm. listen. I only watch classic movies. Well, that is classic. <laughs> I was too busy watching Armageddon. <laughs> it was called Deep Impact. Oh yes, I've seen that. No, nope, yes. haven't seen it. <laughs> you haven't missed anything. Well, oh, so you liked Armageddon better? That's what you're saying, Chris? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I I kind of viewed them the kind of the same a little bit. So, anyway, 
carry on with our topic, shall we? Hey, if and if I'm having any technical issues tonight. He is I, having technical issues. <laughs> out. I uh I apologize for that. And uh just completely clear and forthright. I am in Orlando. It's going so I, I have I feel the pain for anyone listening on the East Coast typical you know, because we broadcast at live at seven PM on the on the West Coast, but on the East Coast that's we start at ten and go to midnight. I'm here for a conference and I'm in the hotel room and I'm usually connected straight into uh directly into the cable and I tells Wi-Fi for this broadcast tonight. So I apologize for any tonight. And Chris, keep letting me know, or you, you get to talk more than me tonight, I guess. <laughs> I think I think uh, I would recommend you uh, calling back, logging out, and logging back in. Because we're only getting about every four – we're getting – we're losing every fourth or fifth word. Hmm. Okay. Do that. So I will carry the subject while you while you log in and out or log All out right. and in. Okay. Well, let me let me start with it. Let me pose a question for you, okay. Chris. All right. Let's see if okay. I can answer. Okay. And you you get to go. Question. It's like we have to make sure we hear the question, though. Just to be <laughs> okay. What do, What do you want me to What do you want me to do, Annie? Say your question. We can hear you right this second. Okay. Yeah, say your question. That's more important right now. So my question for you, Chris. Well, we we live in in, in pretty confusing times for guys. To tell what. What does it mean to be a man? That's the question that was asked to me. So what would be your definition of being a man? What is it? What does that mean? So you get to talk while I try to figure this out. Okay. We'll see you when you come back. <laughs> okay. So Annie, answer that question. Okay. <laughs> Let me what tell you mean? what it means to be a man. <laughs> Oh gosh! Wow, uh, that is I know a how to be a walt man. A walt man. <laughs> you know what, though? I think your perspective would be. I mean, I can speak from my personal journey. I can speak from what I think the scriptures say, but I think there is great value in what the female side would say. Um, but let me ask you, Annie, what, what in your mind would be a, um, what would be, I don't want to say a godly man, that's important, but what's a healthy man look like to you in your, in your ex, in your, in your, in your hope or in your dream? So. What's that? <laughs> I haven't met one yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think that, it, like you said, it is very much a loaded question because when we were kind of talking earlier, it's more what it is to be a good person. It's not even man exactly. versus woman. It is what is it to be a good person? And that's where I kind of laugh because I do make fun of Kurt quite a few times um, <laughs> along the lines of, I am sometimes more manly than him <laughs> because right. I am like the last person to ever cry at things. Um, and he is a very emotional person. Um, I think that it is not how feminine or non-feminine you are. I think it is definitely what it is to be a good person and do what is right and wrong and knowing that part of it. I can't tell you how profound that is. It is <laughs> it, it is very insightful because I um, typically, you know, the the female uh, gender side gets labeled as the emotional side, and the male side gets labeled as the unemotional, the objective, uh, the one with sound common sense and so forth, and yet. How is it that like when I would walk into homes as a pastor and I would find holes in the wall of the house that I'm visiting, it's a troubled home, am I going to assume that the, the, the wife has put those holes in the wall or the husband? <laughs> okay. Depends and on how that nine, person grew up. <laughs> nine times out of ten, it is the husband who is expressing emotion, you know. Um, because when we're talking about emotion, it is not just the tears. It, it is the frustration. It's the impatience. It's the anger. Um, it's the demands. It's the control of others that sometimes can, can weigh in. And that's not to say that women don't have those things either, but it's so easy for us to segment our genders into these identifiable characteristics that aren't necessarily true. So I love the fact that you said good person, good person. And uh, that is far easier to define and discern a good person. Um, cool. Thank you for that. That's what I'm here for. Uh, yeah. Is Kurt how, on how am, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Oh, no. He's am in I, and out. Am I still in and out? Yeah. Did you go to an in and out burger? <laughs> oh, they don't have those in California, Florida, do they? I don't think they well, do. I think that's a West yeah. Coast thing. Yeah. Well, Kurt, what you missed is I asked Annie uh, that same question, and it was kind of loaded, and she actually gave us a very insightful answer that, that really the, the – the, the core issue is is uh, looking for a good person. In other words, it, removing the gender side of things first. And if we're looking for, because I asked her, what are you looking for in a night in in a, a what would be a good man or what would be your expectation of a good man? She said, a good person. And I think that's actually a good launching point. Uh, for this discussion and for me it's very loaded on what it is to be a good man because I'm very picky mm -hmm. 
and I recommend to all women to be very picky. Uh, absolutely. Um, I may bring it yeah. to an extreme, though, Chris. I may bring it to an extreme. Go for it. What's your extreme? Well, they have to like coffee, because if they don't, then what's wrong with them? Yeah. Good. They have to love ASU. If they don't love ASU, well, then what's wrong with them? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a lot of just Excellent. little things like that just that just keep going things. and going. Yeah, yeah. Well, those those are good perimeter things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Back to the loaded question now. I think when I am thinking about um, – a definition for um, what is a man um, or a good man, um, I still have to set aside the idea that he has to be strong. I still would like to focus in on the idea of, of righteousness, which is a strength. Um, that is an ability to discern right from wrong. And I think that is extremely valuable um, and runs throughout the scriptures. You know, I can't even count at this point how many uh, individuals in the Old Testament uh, men who started off good and ended up bad, who, who actually they, they followed a call from God and then found themselves as their uh, life went on, that devotion to God waned, their strength in God waned, and then they ended up adrift. And in fact, I just did a study on Samson, and it's interesting that when, if you're familiar with the story of this uh, uh, totally strong dude um, with uh, divine strength from God, and and, you know, if you've watched the, the movie uh, Samson and Delilah, then you know the whole story. But <laughs> I have. Um, when, when Delilah finally persuades Samson uh, the, to reveal the source of his strength, you know, the Bible lists three times that, that Samson responds. But then there are countless days where she nags him to the point that the Bible says he is nagged to death. And he finally reveals, and so she puts him to sleep, gets his head shaved, and uh, um, and the Bible says that Samson, you know, when he, when he awakens, and uh, and Delilah says the Philistines are upon you, Samson, that he can't fight them at all, and the Bible says that he doesn't even realize that the Lord has left him. Because this strength was actually a part of a vow, a devotion vow that he made to the Lord, that he honored all of his life until this moment, near the end of his life. And um, I think that's a malady for, for guys in general, is that sometimes with the Lord we can start off strong, but end up very weak. Um, because of temptations or because of distractions or busyness or, or whatever. So that is a common thing that happened. It happened to Samson. I know it happened to Solomon. 
that's the amazing thing about Solomon, wisest guy in the whole world, again, given wisdom by God, and, and it's a profound wisdom. And uh, there are many chapters in the Bible expounding his wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Proverbs, and even some of the Psalms. And yet at the end, uh, and even he has divine um, interactions with God, where he has conversations with God. And, and then when he starts moving into idolatry, uh, he gets a warning through a prophet, and the prophet tells him, you know, on behalf of God, you know, I, I gave you everything you asked for, and I gave you beyond everything you asked for. You asked for wisdom and understanding, and I gave you that, and then I gave you all the riches of the world. I gave you everything your heart desired, and I even spoke to you directly on two occasions, and now you are treating me with uh, disregard. And so there was a warning for Solomon to turn around, to change his mind, to come back to God, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And so when I look at Samson and his muscle strength and Solomon as and his mental strength, those things are not automatic um, characteristics for a good man. And so I keep having to rotate or go back to my cycle of um, a good man is someone who walks with the Lord, say, stays strong with the Lord. And uh, so at this point, I'm going to ask Miss Annie to maybe do a commercial for us. Can you do a commercial? I think I can do that. Thank I you. think I got it. Let's see here. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Or just Chris. <laughs> I think Kurt is back. He is? Oh, good. I think is so. he there? Hello, <laughs> hello. I see him, but that doesn't mean he's actually here. <laughs> oh, I don't see him, so that's oh. all right. 
Um, and just by way of reminder, we're so this is to be a talk show, and not just a talk show between Kurt and myself and Annie, but uh, our audience as well. And so if you would like to participate in this discussion, please do give us a call, and you will talk with Annie, and she will put you in the green room and set you up for uh, you to ask a question or tell us your thoughts on this topic. Um, as we... Uh, uh, move a little deeper here. Um, you know, in our culture today, we are definitely feeling the strife and the rift between genders, uh, male and female. And I know that there is a tremendous amount of political opinion on these things. And uh, I'm not afraid to go there. I, I'm just not sure that it serves our purpose. I don't want to give political answers to political questions, and I don't want to necessarily uh, take a side. I would like to take as close as I can to God's side of things, and when I keep doing that, I keep getting back to the Garden of Eden and uh, the designs that, that we can at least initially see with Adam and Eve, and when I look at the design initially, that is before Eve and Adam were tempted into sin by wanting more than what God wanted to give them, uh, or actually more than what God had, because God had gave them everything, um, this was paradise. This was the king's garden. This was everything that uh, we long for in a relationship with God and in a place with God. And, and what we see with Adam and Eve is that Adam was created uh, first, which doesn't make him first in, in a value sense or a political sense or a wisdom sense. Um, but it just makes him first in terms of what I would call a source sense. That is that uh, God, God began with man and then out of man created the, as Annie said, the wolf man, not the wolf man, the wolf man. And uh, because she was taken from his side and the idea here was that there would be this equal partnership. Um, Adam says, she is one of me, or she is a part of me, um, because she was taken from my side. And he's thrilled with that prospect, absolutely thrilled by it. And when I, when I understand that, I realize, wow, there are no insecurities, there are no fears, there are no stresses or anxieties that are not being dealt with or managed as partners. And of course, this emphasizes the marriage relationship, and um, um, that is not to say that uh, being single is not valuable, because I am single right now. And that's a valuable thing. And Miss Annie is single right now, right? And, and that's a I love thing. it. <laughs> there are some incredible values with being single because then you get all the chocolate for yourself. You get all the chicken for yourself. 
<laughs> you get all the ice all cream the bed to yourself. To yourself. All the bed to yourself, and you don't have to share your toothpaste or anything. It's just great. So, and you don't have to pick up after someone. (laughs) Is is it okay to share toothpaste, not your toothbrush? Because my mom doesn't appreciate it when I share other people's toothbrushes. Yeah, that that depends. Or sharing uh, uh, toenail clippers. You know, some people get really weird about those things. Interesting. Yeah, and and the Bible doesn't say anything about that. I've been looking for that, but it doesn't say anything about that. But uh, this this kind of equality um, goes to value, and I think one of the things I I love about the Genesis account is that. Uh, Adam and Eve see value in each other, and uh, they learn how to work and care for the garden and care for each other. And we don't know how many years they did this, and they were completely, even when God put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, many people wonder why he did that. I mean, if if uh, if it brought so much misery, why do that? Or why bring in the serpent, the liar? Why allow him in? But I think um, in retrospect, and this is just my speculations, I think it it allows it, it allowed uh, mankind to choose to love God, and that has a higher value than just saying I love you, God. Um, but but a way to say, I love you more than this, and I love you more than that. And so it's interesting that here this tree that God said, don't touch this tree if the day that you do, uh, you'll die. They were pretty content and happy about not, not touching that tree. And they may have been content for years until the lie came along and suggested that uh, they didn't have enough, and that God was lying to them on on different platforms, and and therefore God didn't be trusted. And if they wanted to have more, more pleasure, more wisdom, and even to be like God themselves, so that they didn't need God, then they could have that. And immediately, this desire for more was birthed. And um, and the serpent, you know, said your eyes, you know, would be opened, the veil taken away. Well, their eyes were opened. They saw the fruit. They saw the tree. They saw pleasure. They saw wisdom. They saw all these things. And so with their desire, they saw things wonderful. And then they disobeyed. They followed through. And then they saw other things. And you know what they saw? They saw what they didn't have. <laughs> they saw less. They didn't see more. And now they were exposed and they were shame, They were filled with shame at even their own person. And I think that's where a lot of the problem for men, as well as women, but since we're talking about men uh, tonight, is that um, men typically operate out of fear of who they are. Their uh, fear of what other people think. Um, you know, most uh, most bullies that I've had to deal with typically were bullied. Um, people who are guys who have been hurt um, usually hurt others. You know, not always, but there is there is a way to hurt in order to get others to feel their hurt. They want to share that hurt, and isn't that interesting? 
that when we hurt, we say we want to uh, bottle it up and we don't want people to know, but our very behavior says to people, I need to share this. I need to share my hurt. I need to share my, my stuff. And uh, I just think that's pretty ironic um, that the very thing that God created uh, to be full and to be uh, like a paradise of sorts um, once that was taken away, now the life is filled with less than. There is no completion. And, and so when the man looks for the woman for completeness, it's not completely there. When the woman looks for completeness in the man, it's not completely there because our completeness is with God, and yet here we are separated from God. And so this incompleteness creates all kinds of issues. Um, I encourage our audience to uh, to call in if you'd like to discuss this with me, because I'm not sure if me Kurt too. is with us or not. Is He's he? here. Oh, yeah, I've been yeah. here. I've We've been talking, talking oh, over him. Kurt. I can't see his picture, me. so very uh, good. You won't see my picture, but you will hear me. I was trying to jump in and... Didn't, is it because uh, you're feeling anything. shame? Is it because you're feeling shame and you're feeling your nakedness and you're hiding from me? We were talking about <laughs> being single at the time, and he's not single. <laughs> that, that's a good. There's a there's a good stuff in the idea of walking in what you are married or single uh, in your marriage or for your singleness, and that sounds like a great topic for another show. First of all, though, um, can, how, how am I coming through at this moment? Way better. Yes. You can hear me? Every, you can hear every word? Every yes. word. But it we was kind of a fun game. Word. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of a fun game. Is that what you said, Annie? Yeah, guessing, like, what you were going to – say and what every fifth word was <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like the radio version of mad libs you remember those yes mad libs where they there would be a story and it certain it would have certain blanks and you would have to, fill in. to put a uh-huh. na- fill in a noun or a verb or an adjective or something and you would have to put it in place those were a lot of fun <clears throat> yes so, yes. so the question I asked was, what does it mean to be a man? And in a nutshell, Chris, because I've been in and out of this thing, what? Just give me a brief, uh, just a briefest description of your of your definition. What does it mean uh, to be a man? I like the definition of being a good person, like what okay. Annie said. I love okay. that, and that's and that's the direction I took. That is is uh, we looked at uh, Samson and we looked at Solomon, and we looked at wisdom and strength, and those two things, which were divine gifts, did not necessarily make them good men, and um, and so that's how we ended up in the garden, looking at what it actually meant to be good and so that's as far as we got Kurt so take it away where do you want to okay what would you like well, to add give, to I'll give my definition of manhood and and we'll and then we'll talk we can talk about each there's four there's four facets 
And oh, are uh, they short pass? They they are nuts. They are okay. nuts. Uh, earlier, Chris, and I'll tell you what they come out of and explain this, but earlier you said something, and I'm trying to, in the chaos of everything that's happened, you you said something about men, about you used the word of trying to understand what it means to be a man, and you used some words, and uh, like like they don't know what it it is or they think it's this thing or they they live right. uh but I can't remember the exact word you used um, um for it like well we were I I did mention the idea that you know a strong man doesn't cry you know a strong man doesn't you know our culture tends to define or used to define men as non-emotional objective you know, and women were obviously emotional and not objective. And, uh, um, and therefore, the, the guy typically had all the sense, which was ridiculous because how many times have, have we seen men either explode with anger or frustration or rage? And that's just, a much, just as much of an emotion as a tear or crying or, or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the the thing when you were talking about that that idea of the image of of what a man is portrays himself, or, or what he thinks he should be, um, the the thing I wanted to present the idea is what is really an authentic man. Okay. What is an authentic man? Not necessarily good or bad, but false or or authentic. And mm-hmm. this does come from a ministry called Authentic Manhood. And there are four principles that, that um, they developed, uh, specifically a man named Robert Lewis, who's written books like Authentic Manhood, Raising Up a Modern Day Knight, these kind of books. And he, he started this ministry that now goes, uh, goes on without him. And they, they, they have four principles that have resonated uh, with me, and I've taught these over the years. These are the four principles of what of what a man, an authentic man, looks like. And the first is an authentic man rejects passivity. And I'll just go through them really quick, and we can talk about them. Authentic man rejects passivity. Embraces responsibility is number two. Three leads courageously. And four, invest eternally. Now, you can see that there's crossover here for men and women. What is a good man, a good woman? However, in the garden, you, you, you brought us back to the garden, Chris. And those first two, uh, and that's really important, I would say, that you brought us back to the garden. Uh, Robert Lewis would... He has an interesting way of describing the first three chapters in the book of Genesis. He describes them as the the mythic mountain that casts its shadows, its shadow on everything in, in history, everything in time that goes after it. It is this mountain... It is the mythic mountain that casts its shadow on all on everything that's come after that, 
every relationship between men and women, and all of it is is found in those first three chapters, the dynamics. And he, he I love it was really interesting. The word myth, the idea of Genesis one through three being the mythic mountain, you get that idea of the word myth could really throw you off, but he defines myth as something that is so incredible in scale. Like it literally changes everything that comes after it. It's not the idea of myth being false. It's the idea of this, like, like I said, like describing it as a mountain. It is this thing that defines everything after it. There's other definitions for myth. So exaggerated or idealized mythic proportions, things like that. Right. Yes. Um, so in, in Genesis one through three, we have, we really have the description of everything that comes after, after including roles of men and roles of women in the relationship and how they interact. It's all found in those first three chapters. And What's interesting about the first two principles of manhood, uh, authentic men reject passivity and embrace responsibility. Chris, in the garden, who was given, who was given responsibility first and very clear responsibility? Who's the one that God's speaking to about responsibility in the garden? Yeah. And wh- who was it? I think his name started with an A. It was a man. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, what was he given responsibility of? Do you, do you remember that? Well, first he was given the opportunity to name all the animals that that were there in the garden, and then secondly to work and take care of the garden, to work the garden right. and care for it. Actually, is what it says. Yes. Yes. So he's given responsibility over the garden. And he, do you remember? Oh, this is a test. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, do you remember also what he was, he was also given responsibility to teach Eve, was he not, about what God had spoken him? Yes. It, it was so long ago, I don't remember it all, but uh, <laughs> yes, uh, God did not, God did not speak to her about the tree. Uh, Adam was responsible. At least we can presume or intimate that he was the one who spoke to Eve about the danger of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. And so... In that, we have this responsibility that was bestowed on Adam to take care of. It was given to him. And in the moment when the enemy, in, in the form of the serpent, he speaks through the serpent to Eve and begins to talk to Eve about the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and is 
and is talking to her about eating from that tree and about how God has withheld this this good thing from them. Um, where was Adam in that moment? Probably taking a bath, I would think, or something. I don't know. Well, what does it say? What is it? Do you remember when when Eve eats of the fruits? What is the next thing she does? Well, she gives it to to him, and he eats, but he doesn't say anything in that whole conversation. Right. But the context or the implication is he was standing right next to her the whole time. Right. That she turns and gives him the fruit. And eats so really, it. he's just not paying attention. Is that <laughs> he's not paying attention to her? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so think no, about I that. Think going. about that. Yeah, idea of his responsibility. He abdicated. He was passive. And yeah. there's this thread that, as children, Adam and Eve, and as, as men. As, as you know, his line, we have this, men have this tendency towards passivity about things, especially when it comes to family situations. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, I'm, as far as like thinking about that, what would be some things you know, like as, as you look back, I, I'm, I'm thinking of it from my own marriage, right? How, for me, how many times have I, had to, you know, like in when it comes to being a part of raising my children, when it comes to uh, being there and alongside my wife in that process, how many times do I make excuses that I'm tired or or, you know, like she's got it handled and I don't step in. I don't invest. Mm-hmm. I don't get involved when things are happening. Um, that, that's one experience for me is like that idea of, uh, of underneath that, like there's a passivity there. There's an insecurity there in that. That's, oh, you know, like I'll let her handle it because I don't know what I'm doing. You talked about fear. But there's a passivity in, in my involvement in my family. Uh, I think of the line in, um, in the first Incredibles movie where, uh, where Mr. Incredible is sitting at the table. His family is going absolutely bonkers. They're, they're at, the, at the dinner table, and his wife yells out, It's time to engage, Bob. Right. Right. How about yeah? Any thoughts like, you know, where, where there's tendencies in, in men to be passive? Uh, mm-hmm. Any examples, that, I mean, from your own life that Just you're thinking not of? not always aware. Not always aware that I'm being passive. Hmm. Like, what do you mean? Explain that. Um, not aware enough to tune in to the signals that my kids are giving or my wife is giving. Um, and of course, you know, not all the responsibility is on my side necessarily because, you know, the children or the wife may not be communicating well or operating in, in their struggles, you know, for 
wholeness as well. But um, I can certainly relate to because I'm I'm a guy who actually uh, I'm not. No one would ever put me in the category of being lazy. Okay, so maybe that's a personality type of some sort, you know. Uh, so I doubt that anybody in my family or or friends or colleagues or people, they would never say that I'm lazy. Um, so I, um, but I would say that because I'm always doing, I can get into a zone where I am not aware of what it is that I am communicating non-verbally. Um, you know, if I, if I'm not smiling, my natural face is, uh, my kids have told me my, my natural non-smiling face, just relaxed face is one of the scariest faces on earth. Wow. <laughs> um, and so when, when I'm wearing sunglasses or a hat and sunglasses in my car, I look like some dude that you don't want to mess with. And <laughs> I feel like, and I've even had people see me from, uh, at, from, from my church or friends, they'll see me in the car passing by them in their car. And they, they've told me the same thing that I look terrifying. So I actually have to uh, work on a pleasant face, um, all my waking hours, <laughs> or at least when I'm out in wow. public. Um, but uh, I can get into a zone where I am not aware of the needs of others. And, um, and, and that's a problem. That's a problem for me. So I have to, I have to counter that with extra effort. Uh, to be the kind of person that I that I want to be for the Lord, so. And and you're describing there, I think, is you know taking responsibility for yourself, mm-hmm. and which is that idea that there is that passivity that we wrestle with. It's a it's a, a an immense opposing force that we we deal with. And the idea of even that, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that men feel more secure many times, not all men, and this is generalizations, but broad stroke, you know, putting things on a broader picture, generally men feel more secure in pursuing work-related goals, and objectives to overcome than in the family, than than interacting with with our wives or our children or or the people that you know are closest to us and that know us best. We there's a level of vulnerability there, and that what we can see in Scripture again, the mythic mountain of Genesis one through three is is uh, we this passivity has been birthed in us through that moment where Adam let Eve passively let her instead of stepping in and taking responsibility to deal with the serpent he let he just let Eve go yeah do it on her own though though the responsibility was given to him yeah and and so this is why rejecting passivity is 
is we have to, to reject passivity is this idea of what you said is acknowledging it, right? Is, is being aware mm-hmm. that it's, that it's there. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I'll go with it. Being aware that it's there. Makes me think of a Brian Regan comedy skit where he had a hair growing out of the middle of his forehead and he couldn't see it. And everyone around him was like, he is unaware of his unihair. (laughs) Right. It's that kind of thing. You know, where you talked about being unaware of your own passivity. It's that it is that thing. It's so it's there. And we, we have grown accustomed to it. It's a, it's like part of that, that false self that we don't even pay attention to. Right. And so you're, you're taking responsibility. And that's the second part being, first of all, rejecting passivity, what you explained is what you said beautifully in that, that illustration is being aware of it. And then second is taking responsibility for it, taking responsibility for the the people around us, not just for ourselves. And, and this is where the, where Jesus talks, where Paul rather in his letters talks about Jesus being the second Adam. And I'm trying, Chris, Help me out. I'm trying to remember what that passage is. Where oh, it's describes... in Romans. Yeah, it's in Romans 4 and 5. Romans 4 and 5. Yeah. And also in Galatians. Who talks about it? I don't have a Bible in front of me. Sorry. So. Well, that's okay. I'm, uh, I'm Normally taking, I do, but not tonight. I'm taking responsibility to look it up. Good. <laughs> but you know, on that on that line of thought, when we talked earlier, or I talked earlier, uh, because you were being passive in Florida with your phone line, uh, <laughs> we were talking about Solomon. You know, Solomon actually became very passive in his relationship with God and began uh, putting, you know, the, the gods of the women that he was be- becoming married to ahead of his own God. And, um, and what's interesting is that when God gave him the opportunity to come back to take responsibility, he refused. Um, but in the case of Samson, Samson also became very passive in his vow and devotion to God. But uh, in his final prayer, there is this call back. He, he, he says he wants to fulfill his vow in essence. And, and he, he's asking God to give him the strength to, to fulfill the mission that God gave him, which was to uh, destroy the enemy, which was the Philistines who were uh, holding Israel in captivity and slavery. Um, and so in that occasion, he took responsibility. David, you know, in his time with Bathsheba or the other times when he counted Israel out of pride or whatever, uh, he developed this passivity uh, to the things and the concerns of God and as a result slipped, uh, slipped away. Um, I used this illustration earlier this week. Uh, about when I'm with people um, in 
counseling, sometimes I've used this illustration of a table and, uh, and the middle of the table is where we, uh, is a sandbox where we're allowed to play and it's safe in that sandbox in the middle of the table. And, uh, we can throw sand and we can make sandcastles and we can dance and have fun and all that. And when I have a troubled individual come in for counseling and they tell me what's going on and they've done something stupid or they've gone back to their addiction or they've broken their relationship or, you know, they treated somebody badly and they just, they did it again. And I ask the question, you know, the edge of the table is where you fall off. You know, the safe place is in the middle of the table. So why, why do you think you danced on the edge of the table? And, um, and the, you know, the, the question actually goes to this idea of passivity because to be in the middle of the table is to be with God. To be in the middle of the table is to be safe with him. To be in the middle of the table is to be close to the shepherd. But when I wander away, uh, look, looking for grass on my own or wandering uh, chasing after a little bird or a, or <laughs> a squirrel, squirrel. Uh, when I start doing that, then I move away from being able to hear God and to hear his commands. And in that sense, um, I become passive to the things of God. Um, I know we were talking about being passive to the things of our wife or to the things of our children, um, and that certainly applies in the married relationship. But, but really, all men have this uh, capacity to wander from the safe place, the middle of the table, and to do life, play life on the edge. And they think that that's taking control of their life, but really, the inverse is happening. They're becoming very passive about the things that matter most, which is their relationship with God. Anyway. Uh, and that's... No, that's a great point because part of the passivity that I've experienced is men. Uh, it, it, you you just said that men are passive oftentimes in the relationship with God, and if we go back to Genesis again and we see who did it was God that gave man the responsibility. So and so that passivity starts with God. If we're mm-hmm. rejecting the responsibility that God gave us, it's because we're rejecting, we're becoming passive in our relationship with him. And I, I see that very often. Having worked with kids and families for years, I see how men passively abdicate the responsibility of raising their children, especially in the spiritual sense of teaching their kids and modeling for their kids what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, I see that often they relegate that they, they abdicate that they become passive and they, they expect, they expect their wives to do it or they expect the church to do it. Right. Um, you know, and those kind of things, you know, there's a great frustration like between children's ministry and youth ministry and churches that, you know, especially the dads will come in, and there's been so many stories I've heard of dads coming in and yelling at the youth pastor because his kid did something stupid, and like you're not teaching him. And there's this example of 
he has totally abdicated his responsibility as the father to invest in his son. Mm. And so we go back to, I think this goes right back to this idea of Adam having, you know, stepped away from that passivity. And because of that, death came into the world. And death, death, we all in, experienced death in our relationship with God and death in, you know, in our souls because of Adam's passivity. And you have this, uh, this picture in Romans fifteen twenty two. says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Mm-hmm. And, and then it calls he called Paul, the, the Apostle Paul is writing this, to the church in the ancient church in Corinth, says later, says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The second Adam became, the last Adam became a living, life-giving spirit. And he describes Jesus as the second Adam. And here's where we have the restoration of responsibility. The, the the authentic, the greatest picture we have of manhood is the baby in the manger. Mm. Jesus took responsibility for what was not his doing. He took responsibility for our passivity and our and the death we brought into the world, and he stepped from his world into our world. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in that, you have the greatest picture for us as men of what it means to reject passivity and embrace responsibility in any relationship, whether it's a girlfriend, a friend, a wife, or a child. We have the greatest picture right there of what it looks like to reject passivity and embrace responsibility. And that is to get into their worlds. Jesus didn't go, not my job, right? I didn't do it. Right. I, I'm not responsible for this mess. He stepped in where he didn't have to take responsibility. He stepped in, and the way he did it was he came into our world. Mm. And, if, and, that, and as men, this is like, let's be honest, a lot of the, the, the passivity comes from insecurity. What do, it's not natural for us. To, to take responsibility in certain areas, especially relationships. And we, we, let, let's be honest. On a general note, men have a lower emotional quotient, a lower EQ than women. We don't understand. We don't know what's going on. And so it's easy to shrink back from, we know, like this is why football is so great, because we know the rules, right? Sports is so great because we know the rules. Mm-hmm. But we don't know the rules in relationships. We don't, and so when we don't know the rules, when we don't understand how things work, creates insecurity, and it's easy to become passive and just let it drift. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, like ignore it or not even realize we're ignoring it because our insecurity is feeding into that. But here's where Jesus helps us in a very practical way. His birth. In the, and 
that baby in the manger is the greatest example of manhood that we could ever see, that he came into our world. And so there's the picture for us. How do we, so it's simply this, to embrace responsibility is to step into other people's world, is to leave our world behind and go be in the world of our wife, go be in the world of our girlfriend, go be in the world of our friends, get into their world, into our children's world. And that's something that we can, that's, that's a clear thing for us. This is what it means to embrace responsibility, step into their world. And so we're going to talk about that. Like, what's the question? What are some facets of how can we step, put, how can we practice embracing that responsibility by stepping into other people's worlds after our commercial break. So that's a question I'm going to ask you, Chris, how do we, how, how can we get into other people's worlds? How practically can we do that? But first, Annie. Hey friends. And thank you for tuning in to life hurts. God heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Before we go on, I just want to say, again, thank you for listening, especially tonight. It, it, It was chaotic chaotic in the beginning and and we acknowledge that and we want to thank you for sticking it out whether you're listening to this as a recorded podcast or whether you're listening to this live and if you are live right now we do want to remind you that we would love for you to uh to jump into this discussion with us you can do that by calling the number that's right there on blogtalkradio.com, right on the screen, 323-580-5755. Or you could chat with us on Facebook, where uh, Life Hurts God Heals is on Facebook, or you can email us also, even not just now, but if you have questions and topics, even things that you want us to discuss when it comes to the brokenness of the world and the healing that we all need and becoming more aware of God's presence in our life to navigate the healing and the restoration and the reconciliation we need with other people, you can email us or you can, uh, you can go to Facebook, but yeah, you can email us life hurts. God heals 2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you just want to listen, if you have full permission to just listen and, uh, and follow the conversation, but 
we're also inviting you into it. Chris, speaking of inviting you into it, thoughts on practically how we get into other people's worlds, how we step, take responsibility to build uh, relationships. One of the things that I mentioned was in the four principles, reject passivity, embrace responsibility, lead courageously, and invest eternally. And so there's that idea of investment. You know, as stepping in to other people's worlds is an investment. Um, so any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I, um, to get there, I just want to reemphasize uh, for guys out there how important it is to recognize that that when we think we're strong, that's probably where we are weak. Mm. Um, that's been the case in my life, but it's also been my observation of guys in general. Is is it is it's very easy for us to develop a. We kind of develop a. <laughs> it's not an antenna that that actually. Uh, that's not even the right illustration, but uh, we tend to be so inward focused. I know that I know that uh, women are inward focused, but uh, differently. In fact, I would wager to bet that most guys would say, "Well, uh, women have that problem, but I don't." <laughs> you know. Mm. But to be able to take responsibility and to to explore and embrace the concept that you don't have all the answers and that you um, are weak. See, that's something we don't want to hear because our culture and also kind of innately or uh, what God has put in inside of a guy is this is a strength, but when we think of the garden, I, I always have to remind myself that whatever definition I have as a, as a, uh, being a part of the sinful human race is that it's a corrupted version of strength. In other words, everything that comes out of the garden is corrupted. And, and that includes my conclusions, you know, my natural my worldly or my fleshly conclusions about myself are probably corrupted, uh, which is why I, I have to, I have to get back to the scripture. And it's so interesting when I look at the men in the old Testament and the new Testament, it is about, um, well, I think of Peter, for instance, Okay, Peter, throughout his, uh, you know, ministry walk with Jesus, when, when they were traveling together, uh, obviously everybody saw strength in Jesus, but Peter and probably some of the other disciples were trying to mimic that strength, mimic that confidence, um, establish, you know, by, by either controlling the events around us, or uh, trying to um, analyze the situation 
and and do something responsible with it. Do something mem- uh, important with it. Uh, and oftentimes when we do that, all we're doing is we're elevating ourself. In other mm-hmm. words, strength for the guy is really about elevating himself. And when Jesus comes along, he takes just the opposite course. And it's about elevating others. And so when we see Peter fail at the at time of the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, and he did not, you know, first he claims that he will defend Jesus to the death. And even in the garden attempts to do that with a sword, okay, or a knife or whatever it is. But um, ultimately, uh, he's scared to death when he realizes that uh, things are not going in his direction and he flees. And now he's filled with shame. And it's because his definition of manhood didn't work. And and so this idea of taking responsibility does include, gosh darn it, admitting that we are weak. That we we don't have a good working definition as men until we get God's definition of it. So that's kind of my launching point then to, uh, so how do we... Uh, as a practical matter, uh, show responsibility, or what are some things that we can do? What's that? What's the, be... the third? Oh, what's your third you... point? Your third point is what? It's passivity, responsibility. Oh, leading courageous. Pass- yeah, reject passivity, embrace responsibility, lead courageously, invest yeah. eternally. Yeah. And can I can I ask a question, or will I knock you off your the train that you're on? Sure. Sure, I will knock you off the train, or sure I can ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. When when you talked about, it, I thought that was very insightful. That oftentimes when we think we're at, we're we've got it figured out and we're strong, we're we're actually at our weakest. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's, do you think unknowingly that that's a response to our insecurity over our passivity where we're, we're, we're moving in, in, the, in the, the other spectrum trying to find power where we feel weak and passive and, in, and insecure, then we, we uh, react out of that and going swinging, trying to swing, not realizing it, we're swinging the pendulum to the other extreme to grab yeah. on to feel powerful. Yeah. Yeah. See, the, the world's definition of strength is one that is like Samson and one that is like Solomon. And perhaps even one that is like David, who has this tremendous zeal, um, but he's also an artist and uh, very creative and passionate. So we see in these three guys, David, Samson, and Solomon, these fantastic strengths in their life. And yet they fail in those strengths when they leave God. When they leave God or they move away uh, from their devotion to God. And so, you know, my fundamental premise then is that real strengths, eternal strength, God-designed strength, is only a strength that allows God to fill 
whatever that strength is. In other words, if David's strength is his passion to lead Israel or his passion to love God, um, well, don't be a hypocrite about it. <laughs> okay? Don't pretend to be leading the people toward God when you're not. Um, that that's a corruption because you personally have drifted away and, and, and you're not really thinking about God. You're thinking about yourself or in the case of Samson, God has given him this strength, but over the course of time, here he is, he's, you know, dancing with prostitutes. Okay. And, uh, and then he doesn't even realize that God has left him. And then, Mm. and, and if, and yet the strength God's strength, God's uh, stuff that he put in men is meaningless without God. It, it's it's uh, superfluous. It's, it's a shadow of what it's supposed to be. So, so Solomon is given you know, this fantastic wisdom, but without God, he is the biggest fool in the world. And... Uh, <laughs> And when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which I happen to do today, in fact, um, hmm. I'm amazed that, you know, his conclusion uh, throughout the book is all is meaningless. All is meaningless. And I kept saying, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Yes, life is meaningless without God. Life is meaningful with God. And the problem with Solomon is that he was moving away from God. <laughs> okay. Well, and yeah, but the term though, and that one is that we have to be clear on is he says, everything is meaningless under the sun, which is the perspective. Yeah. The corrupted, right? the corrupt thing. And, and then even at the end, you know, he says, remember your creator, uh, you know, when the silver cord is broken, you know, when life is ending and you're stooped over and you're old and you can't pick grapes or whatever. Okay. Don't forget God. Don't forget God. That's, that's your last hope. And yet what is it that Solomon does? He forgets God. And even when God mm. offers him through a prophet to repent and change and come back, he refuses. That to me is the epitome of stupidity and, and idiotness. So Solomon, the wisest man in the world, becomes an idiot. And Samson, the strongest man in the world, becomes the weakest. He ends up being blind, grinding grain in a dungeon, and, and performing like a crown in front of mocking crowds. All because they left God out of it. And so I just keep coming back, at least for me, that whatever people say my gifts are, well, that's all fine and dandy, and I can live on those accolades. But ultimately, if that's all my life, and I don't, I don't recognize the source of that, and the the uh, strength of that is my devotion to God, then then I am pitied. I should be pitied, you know. Um, and I so, think, for the guys it. out there, I'm just thinking. You know, what, a practical way to become strong is to re-engage with God in powerful ways, spending time like we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts. You know, uh, just it doesn't mean you have to memorize the Bible. I mean, 
gosh, I've studied the Bible all my life and I still can't remember where things are. That's irrelevant. It's, it's, that's, that's not important. What's important is, do you know God? And I don't mean, do you know about him and what he is like? Do you know him personally? Is he, are you handing your life over to him daily? Are you handing your strengths over to him? Because I tell you what, if, if you're being passive in some way in your relationships with your wife, your children, your friends at work, people, whatever, but you turn back to God and you say, God, I want to be, I want to be your guy. Show me what to do. He'll show you. He'll show you. The Holy Spirit will bring to your attention every single day, something that you're not doing right something that you're not doing well. Either you're not being compassionate enough, you're not listening well, you're not helping enough, you're being lazy. Like we talked about, you know, making, uh, what is it uh, Jordan Peterson says, you know, one of the things you ought to do is make your bed every day. How many guys actually make their bed? But but he's actually getting to a bigger picture. It's a metaphor for life. If you're going to start changing your life, start changing your life. And the very well, first thing Jordan I Peterson? would say is, is uh, change your life by by coming back to God, repenting, and repenting just means turning around and and saying, Lord, I I can't do life by myself. Help me, help me, you know. So, uh, well, there's a there's there's some questions that have popped up in in, in what you just shared. One, and this will be easier. Who is Jordan Peterson? You mentioned him. Uh, like like everyone knows, and you just talked about him to me just recently, and I didn't know about him. So, would yeah. you uh, just give us some information because he he might be a resource for people? Yeah, well, I know that he is. Uh, uh, I I don't think he's a, a you know a believer in Jesus Christ, but he he is a believer in God of some uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, but he's a psychologist. He's a, he's an academic psychologist who also has a practice, and uh, he's a very brilliant, brilliant guy. And it just seems that uh, when he began looking at the problems of of uh, the struggles of male and female relationships and identity, the things he was saying started to click with with guys and with women who are related to guys. And so he has literally millions and millions of young men who, who are asking the same question that, that you brought at the very first part of the sh- show. You know, what, what is a man supposed to be like? And so he actually wrote a book addressing some of those issues. Um, what is the name of that book? Um, Twelve Steps. Uh, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Um, okay. Um, but anyway, Danny's out there. Danny's out there. Andy, can you look up Jordan? Twelve Rules for Life. Twelve Rules for Life is the name of the book. And 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 yeah, he's moved into a lot of political, you know, addressing the the political correctness, the feminist movement, all those things. So he's developed quite a wing. But some of his best stuff is really about uh, human identity. And um, looking at it from a scientific, psychological perspective, and uh, mm. and he does try to mesh those things in with the truths of the Bible, 
Um, like I said, I, he would say that he's not a Christian, uh, but he does recognize uh, many of the redemptive truths that are in the scriptures, and so he uses those in his teachings. So that's about all I will say about him. But, the other thing I was going to ask was, um, in, in, as you were sharing, the idea, you, you mentioned three men. You, you used David from the Old Testament, who was Solomon's father, who's King David, second king of Israel. And you mentioned Solomon, his son, and you mentioned uh, Samson, mm-hmm. um, who was a prophet, or mm-hmm. was a judge, judge. rather, judge, yeah. judge of Israel, leader, the leader of Israel in his time. And you mentioned the strengths that they all had that were given to them as gifts from God and how they leaned into their, they had a tendency to, at times to lean into their strengths that were gifts without inviting God yeah. into that journey and asking God to lead them from their strengths, to guide yeah. them, to, lead, to direct their strengths in, in his way. So that it was not destructive, but positive and and building building up of the people around him. And what I what came to me as you were talking about that, Chris, and I was wondering if you would uh, share on this a little bit your thoughts. That each one of them, speaking of that, they were when they lived out of their own, the, the, the gifts of the power that they were given out of that strength, each one of them created damage sexually. Samson, that was his biggest issue yeah. where, where yeah. he re- that strength was yeah. uh, that he redirected, created damage in a sexual way. David, had an affair and with a married woman and had her husband killed over it. And the baby yeah. that she became pregnant and the baby died. Um, and Solomon had a, uh, had, if I'm trying, I'm trying to remember correctly, he had 900 concubines. Yeah. yeah 700. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines or something like that. Okay. Yeah. 700 wives and 300 concubines. So that like that's just exhausting just thinking about it from my perspective. <laughs> and, and I'm not just talking the sex side of that. Like I'm talking about relating to all those women, you know. Um, but but so in in their in, rather than you know inviting God into their strength so that He can direct it in a positive way, they they lived out of their own strengths. They tried to plow through and use that strength in their own. And what we find is sexual damage was created. Um, and why do you think that is? Why, why is that a tendency? And I know, it, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, that for me as, as, as a young guy, just even a young kid, that was, that was the bent that I went on was, was, you know, um, sex, pursuing sex, getting caught up in pornography, very young age. Why do you think that is when we are living out of our own strength and, and um, 
and, and trying to deal with our passivity out of our own strength rather than inviting God into that journey with us. Why do we swing to, to sex as something, as a part of that, of, in, in our own strength? <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have an answer. I'm not sure hmm. I can make a connection between our sexual identities or desires and a direct connection to the strengths of, of a guy. Um, okay. But I, I would say that for men and women, our sexual identity is a big, big, big part of who we are. So, for instance, if we are talking about someone who is addicted to drugs or addicted to gambling or addicted to smoking or shopping, whatever it is, uh, video games, whatever the addictions are that are out there, nothing compares to a sexual addiction Mm. in the amount of shame and guilt that it produces because I think it gets – to the deepest part of our personhood, you know, alcohol or drugs or gambling, those, those are incredibly damaging things. And some of those are chemical, you know, outside chemical in, and some of those things are just, uh, you know, connect brain connections, uh, connected with risk, you know, uh, as in the case of gambling or, um, even having an affair or something like that, the the risk that is involved makes that, you know, affiliation or association so much deeper. But when it comes to an uh, to to a sexual addiction, um, boy, it strikes at the very heart of things. You know, uh, everybody always talks about. Uh, uh, guys and pornography and and that is a that is a number because of the access obviously to the internet uh that it's affecting children at a far more greater rate and it's affecting far more women and and females than it has ever done before and um but it's interesting because of the differences between men and women it used to be that uh you know try and try and take a soap opera away from a woman and uh, and there would be a knife in her hand, okay? Because there's <laughs> there is this uh, uh, because uh, you know the the sexual uh, the sexual um, makeup of men and women is very different. It's what makes us different, and so we can develop uh, deep seated connections uh, at very different. And I you know that's all for another. Uh, you know, show and so forth. But, but uh, I just I wanted to, well, I just I wanted to, uh, to, to suggest that um, this is why, for instance, there is so much confusion with uh, uh, the male role model or male identity and even female identity. Because if you think about, and I know this is, you know, this may rock people's boats, but even the heightened sense of the whole LGBTQ movement, um, 
I've had uh, many associations with individuals in this movement. Some of them are my friends. Some of them are family. Okay. And um, it forced me to do a lot, a lot of research and uh, interviewing many, many people about this. And it seems to me, and this is that 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 a great deal of of all of this energy in gender roles uh, is sexual. In other words, um, it has to do with sexual fulfillment or sexual wholeness or sexual completeness because somehow that is connected to our personhood. And, and, and so when it gets corrupted or moved away from God's design, it is so possessive and so destructive, not just to the individual, but to the people around them. I mean, look at all the division that is created now. Uh, not just in our culture, but between families and friends. And people are, are being forced to have to choose one friend over another, <laughs> you know. Or if you associate yeah. with one person, you're rejecting another person. Um, it's, it's, it is absolutely amazing that we're seeing in very public ways the damage that has been done to our sexual identity, um, yeah. Because, even because... Me... Go, ahead. go ahead, I'm done. Oh, uh, even in the Me Too movement, we're seeing something being exposed that's been hidden for in, in a lot of ways and looked over as uh, as men have used power um, to to get sex, the user positions and things sure. like that. And yeah. here, here's, as you were talking, what came to my mind, Chris, and I want to see what you think of this, was that this goes back to that, that idea of passivity again, because a lot of our passivity, I think, and, and please tell me what, if you agree or disagree with this, the idea of our, our insecurity is we, as men, that emotional that EQ, that emotional quotient, we don't understand the rules of intimacy with women. We don't understand how to connect. And right. because we have this, that, and this is where passivity gets in the way, we become passive in trying to engage and taking responsibility to get into their world and understand them and understand what makes them tick and, and, you know, lead courageously into a scary, women are scary. I'm going to say my wife is the scariest person I know. And she's the one I'm most intimately connected to. And so because we don't understand the rules, our passivity gets in the way of trying to go after that, to go after understanding the relational, the relational intimacy that we can have with women and like football, like sports, sex is more, much more clean cut and it brings a sense of power and intimacy that we don't have to do the hard work. Or we don't think we have to do the hard work of engaging them relationally. Yeah. There's the yeah. attraction there that, that is sparked out of our passivity that it seems like the easier route to intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we are rejecting responsibility. <clears throat> yeah. And 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 so, I, if I if if it's all right with you, you gave me, um, you brought to mind a story of my own life when it comes to the um, the idea of of going of accepting the responsibility to get into the other person's world, to get into my wife's world in this case and my kids. But there was a time when we had gone to India and we had come home and we were praying about whether God was going, was leading us to, to move to India to take on a, a ministry there. And after a couple months, my my wife, maybe about a month of being back from India, she said, this is not what we're meant to do. And I felt very strongly that she was wrong, that God was saying we are meant to go to India. And I, I thought she was making that decision based on fear um, to, you know, move, I have two daughters moving with, the, you know, moving our whole family to India that she was operating out of uh, her, her um, processing of that was coming from a place of fear. However, I did not, and I, I was mad at her and instead of accepting responsibility and, and, and engaging her in her world, I chose to get angry. And there, again, there's that sense of, so in, there's a sense of power in that, right? I, I, I don't, I don't feel secure in interacting with her normally. Like it's hard to be in, in that kind of relational intimacy. So instead in my passivity, I chose to be angry at her and just wouldn't talk to her for days, literally would not talk to her for days. And I went instead of talking to my wife, who's supposed to be the one I'm most intimately connected with, instead of talking to her, I went to all my mentors, which sounds great, right? Going to guys who I have put in my life. And this is one thing I will say, it, it's so important for you, for every guy to have a, a, an older guy someone who's walked the journey ahead of you to, to bounce ideas off and share and pour into you. It's also just as important for you, no matter where you are, to have somebody else that you can invest in. So, but in this case, I put these things out of order. I went to three guys who I trusted, who, who have wisdom, who were walking farther on the journey than I was, and I asked them, all I, this is what's going on with Sherry. This is what's going on with my wife. And, and she's wrong. And I just want to know what God wants. Mm-hmm. And the first guy I talked to said, I said, I just want to know God's will. And the first guy I talked to said, you want to know God's will, Kurt? Love your wife unconditionally. Put your wife first. And I was like, oh, and you, and you were actually really hoping that he would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, you are so right. And I didn't like it, so I went to the next. <laughs> I didn't take his advice. I didn't go to my wife and listen to her and, and, and love her unconditionally. I went to the next guy and, uh, and said, you know, the same thing. I just want to know God's will. And his answer was exactly the same as the first guy. You want to know God's will, Kurt? Love your wife. Listen to your wife. I went, so that didn't work for me. So I went to a third guy. <laughs> I'm stubborn in my passivity. Rather than engaging my wife, I went to f- try to find someone who would give me the advice. I just want someone to tell me what God wants, but God had already spoken twice the same thing, but I was, I was rejecting I was rejecting responsibility, not passivity. And I went to the third guy, and he said the same thing. You want to know God's will? Love your wife unconditionally. Listen to her. And so for me, one of the things, the principles that I have learned from experience is that, and I've said this before, when I get the same, as I'm seeking God, and I was praying through this whole time, but I wasn't, but I wasn't listening as God gave me the, the same message until the third time. And that's the principle I've learned is that when I hear the same message, however it comes through people or circumstances through the scripture, or even in my own thought processes, I'm praying. If I get the same message three times, I, I, I begin to believe that that's God trying to cut through the noise of the world by giving me the same message. And so reluctantly, reluctantly, I, I accepted the responsibility to go actually talk to my wife, to actually reject my passivity of avoiding her being just allowing myself to feel powerful in my anger and avoid her. And so I went and talked to her and I just simply asked her the question was, why do you think this is the question I, I should have asked to begin with. Why do you think India is not the direction God has for her? Uh And when I finally rejected passivity and embraced the responsibility by, this is the embracing responsibility by getting into my wife's world. And this is how I got into her world. I simply asked her a question to, to hear her, her perspective on things that was entering into her world as Jesus entered into our world, finally asking her the question that should have been asked to begin with if I wasn't, you know, living out of my passivity. I asked her, why, why don't you think India is God's direction for us? And she gave me, a, she gave me an answer that settled it for me, too, that, I, that India wasn't it. She told me that, Kurt, you've been in ministry for a long time, and you followed other leaders. And God is showing you that it's your time to lead. And if we go to India, the leader of that ministry is a strong leader, and you will just follow again under him. And that's not, it's not the time for that. It's now your time to take the mantle of leadership and lead an organization. Uh-huh. And I went, wow. Uh-huh. And, all, and I got, and I heard, because I listened to God, Finally, like you said, inviting God into the process 
into the journey and relating to our wives and to our friends and to get into get into their world because I listened and I I was praying, but I finally listened to God and I went and 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 got into my wife's world and asked her the question. It it changed the direction not only of our relationship in that season, but also the direction of where we went. It changed our destiny as a family. Right. <clears throat> That's great. That's 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 excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, w- one of the, I guess, just in this, what does it look like, Chris? Do you think? How do we let God lead us? Like you talked about David, Solomon, and 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 um, Samson. And how they were given these gifts of strength, but they didn't, they didn't allow God to lead that. Yeah. Um, so how, how as men, if it's our tendency to be passive in that, and and not, and you know, and not embrace the responsibility of seeking after God, what are some ways that, you know, what are some things we can do to? Kind of, I guess, remind us or mm-hmm. or help us in those moments realize we are depending on our own strength. We are we're we're trying to do things on our own, and we're now we're living passively, and we don't even know it. So how do we how do we invite God into that? What are some practices, some things that can help remind us when we're yeah. when we're uh, walking in the first Adam's patterns of passivity and, and rejecting responsibility and, and, right. and being insecure and not leading courageously. What are some things that can help sh- show us that, that we're walking in the first Adam, not the second Adam of Jesus? Hmm. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's the hard part. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's not the easy part. That's the hard part because, you know, we can talk about change all night long, but to actually change what we do and our patterns, our day, um, that's, a, that's important. I, I remind myself that I can either humble myself before the Lord or let him humiliate me. And... You know, when God humiliates us, it's a great humiliation, and uh, because either way, He's gonna He want He's He's wanting something from us, guys, and He's He's gonna get it one way or the other, and uh, because God is not passive at all in His love toward mm-hmm. us, so so He is He is gonna, you know, if we're going to ignore Him. I mean, think of it when when we're talking about those three guys, David, Samson, and uh, Solomon. Um, God is very aware of them, and uh, he he gives them some lines so that they can kind of sink themselves. Uh, but then he calls them on it. You know, uh, I remember Elijah. Elijah runs away because here he had just uh, been this great prophet and dealt uh, Ahab and Jezebel what he thought was a final blow to the leadership 
of Israel and, and God's righteousness was going to rain down. And instead they put, uh, um, they called out for death for his life, you know, and, and suddenly he's freaking out. He's afraid. He runs away. He runs away. And I love the Lord. You know, the Lord uh, meets him along the way and uh, provides some food for him, gives him a little barbecue. And, uh, and Elijah doesn't respond really with Thanksgiving and keeps running, ends up in a cave. And, uh, and then finally, when he's got, got, he got Elijah's attention, he, he says, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question for guys. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, when you're pursuing your India trip and uh, you realize you're not talking to your wife for days because of your anger, um, and you're not getting the answer you want. Really, God was answering you. He says, what are you doing? He was. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, one way or the other, <laughs> he's going to humiliate us if we don't humble ourselves. And so the proactive activity that guys can do is to work on being humble. You know, earlier we talked about what strength is. In the world, and so the world has this idea of strength, um, but often the strength is centered around us. Look at me. Look at what I can do. It's like Hollywood, you know. Uh, let let's throw let's throw an Academy Awards for ourselves, <laughs> you know. Let's get people to like us. If we're going to do a fundraiser, let's 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 entertain them so. Other people give their money. We don't have to give any money, but let's entertain them so that uh, people will give money. And then people and then we'll receive the applause for all the money we raise. It's like, wow, that, how backwards and, and corrupt that is. And yet God's rendition of strength is about actually loving others, like you were saying, yeah. stepping into the lives of others and and to, you know. I, I actually want to go back to how we started the show, which was when I asked Annie, you know, whether you look, what would you admire or look for in a guy if you had to do that? And it was somebody who was good. Well, that doesn't mm. say anything about strength, does it? It doesn't say no. anything about the world's renditions of strength. This is about good, uh, goodness. Going right and wrong, being loving versus hating, uh, being someone who who demonstrates care by putting themselves in other people's worlds, uh, being able to show empathy and compassion or sympathy, and um, and in God's mind, that's what manhood is: is actually leaving ourselves and being courageous you know we often uh, celebrate the heroes who go into a burning car and rescue and we call them heroes because they left their life in order to save others they were willing to die well that's the definition of that's god's definition of a hero as well when he talks about uh no greater love does a man have than this that he lay his life down uh, for another. And, and so I can't give necessarily real practical things, but I do think getting our brain 
around or embracing an ideology of love or an ideology of courageous compassion or like your fourth point, investing. Um, Eternally. That those, those, are, those are important aspects to changing, to, to, to changing from where we are to where we want to be and not by the world's definition because the world's definition is corrupt and empty. It will only lead to death and disappointment. I mean, one or the other. You're either going to risk life for some stupid idiotic thing um, or you're just going to be filled with despair and depression because you don't measure up to what you think manhood is. And yet God has laid it out for us. I mean, the most courageous man in, uh, is Jesus on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Innocent. Knew he was innocent. Could call down legions of angels and, and change all of this. But instead, he, he dies to himself and loves others. Um, to me, that's, that's my hero right there that's that's that, what i aspire to be and that right there is so you you said you, you here's the word you use you remind yourself i remind myself and uh and it's been told to me the the two greatest commandments are not the greatest commandments the most given commandments in the scripture there's two commands god gives humankind across the the generations um more than any other commands and the first one is do not be afraid and so even in the uh, humiliation that you talked about when we come to god in humility um god is always responding out of love and even when he he when we are prideful and need to to have a fall (laughs) god's humiliation is out of love so we don't have to be afraid but the second one is is this one the second most given command beyond do not be afraid is remember. And yeah. you said you remind yourself. And so here, here we need reminders and we need to figure out what those reminders can be for us. One of the things I think when I'm listening to you talk about investing in others, it's always asking questions, not making any assumptions. I made assumptions about what my wife was thinking. And I refused to communicate with her. I made the assumptions and I made statements. So here's, here's a good, I think, a good reminder, a way to remember that we're, we're starting, you know, we're, we're acting passive. We're living out of insecurity. We're trying to, we're swinging the pendulum in our insecurity towards grasping for power in our own abilities or sexuality or whatever. One of the things you can do, I think, to, 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 as a reminder, is pay attention to this. Am I making statements in my communication to others more than asking questions? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to get into other people's world, I have to ask them questions. What's going on in your life? What's your right. favorite color? What do you, right. what, what, you know, when I yeah. make statements... Yes, and that's getting into the world. It's understanding them, stepping into their world to understand what, how things. That's when I asked my wife that question. Man, it brought understanding and it brought a a new direction. So here's a a way to remember. Here's a simple reminder: pay attention to whether or not you're making more. You know, in your communication with other people, are you making a lot more statements? 
or asking more questions. Mm-hmm. And that will be a, a reminder uh, to let you know which way you're going. Are you operating out of yourself or are you, are you rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously and investing eternally? And, right. and also I want to give, you talked about the mindset. So I want to, to help with that, I think um, to, I want to make sure we give some resources before we get off, because we're running out of time. So um, you mentioned Jordan Peterson and mm-hmm. his book, 12 Rules. So I, I just want to let people know, um, guys, check out jordanpeterson.com. Mm-hmm. And he has his YouTube channel. Is If you go to Jordan Peterson with S-O-N, peterson.com, jordanpeterson.com, he has... The book shows there, uh, it, it shows also his YouTube channel. It also gives you links to his podcast and mm-hmm. recommended books. Uh, I will also even even more um, recommend AuthenticManhood.com. Yeah. And there's Good. books, there's video series there. Uh, there's the book, the workbook that I would highly suggest working through is Men's Fraternity. The Quest for Authentic Manhood is a great um, study guide that you can do on your own. Um, you can watch, the, the, there's a video series called 33 The Series, A Man and His Design. I would highly recommend that as well. It's all there on AuthenticManhood.com. And also, lastly, on my end, Chris, I want you, if you have any resources, but one more from me, um, and that is the book, Emotional, uh, healthy, healthy. Wait. Uh, emotionally healthy. Yeah, healthy spirituality. Yeah. Emotionally yeah. healthy spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. I kept saying yeah. tonight, men don't have as good of an emotional quotient and understanding of their emotions as women. Here's a book that will help with that. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. It is a life changer. Trust me yeah. on that. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any th- thoughts to wrap this up in the next, for the next two minutes? <laughs> yeah, there, uh, I've got another book. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a little old, but it's uh, written by a guy named John. It's called The Gospel of John. <laughs> I would recommend that you give that a read, and, and as you read it, uh, don't just read it. Read it with an eye to looking at how Jesus, the Son of God, the commander of the universe, the king of glory, how he, how he interacts with men and women, and then use that as your example. So that's my recommendation. That's great. And just so you know, I did put all of the links into the show notes, so people that are listening online can click on them there Perfect. as well as later on iTunes or any other place. Yep. yep. You're amazing, Annie. You're amazing. And that's a statement. That's not asking you a question. I realize that, but I just want to state the fact that you are amazing. And Or I can ask it as a question. Annie, do you think you're amazing? <laughs> I know I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> There's yeah. no worry about that. <laughs> yeah, we would agree with you. You are amazing. And I want to thank everybody for listening and that we want to ask you to keep listening. We 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 are only in this 
because one, God called us to do it, and two, because you are are in this with us. And so yeah. we want to invite you back uh, again next week at the at the time, or to listen to this podcast. We would we would love that, and please share. If yeah. you're getting something out of this, please pass this on to other people that you also know that would, could be uh, this could be helpful. And uh, with that, uh, we will talk to you in a week. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care.